Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. The circumstances in life should not dictate to us our response to the circumstances in life. With the wicked, it's affliction all the days of their life. But for those of us who have a similar lot in life, one riddled with affliction, it is possible to have a merry heart, a joyful heart, and a continual feast. It's all about the attitude of the heart. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Proverbs. Feelings are often based entirely on circumstance. Today, Pastor J.D. encourages us to not follow our emotions so closely. If you have the Lord in your heart, it should be filled with joy. No matter your circumstances, no matter how you're feeling, you should be able to act and respond in a way that gives God all the glory. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Proverbs chapter 15 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. The heart of man is deceitfully wicked. It's beyond repair. We don't even know our own hearts, but God knows our heart. I think about when David was anointed to be king of Israel, to succeed Saul. And here comes Samuel to the house of Jesse. And he has his brothers lined up. David's not even in the lineup. And to their shock, even Samuel's shock, it was not Eliab, the firstborn son, which was the heir apparent, if you will. And when Samuel realized that not one of these sons of Jesse was to be anointed king of Israel, he actually asks Jesse, he says, are you sure that, I mean, do you have any more sons? Well, as a matter of fact, I do, but he's out tending the sheep. And Samuel almost becomes uh, somewhat indignant. He's like, we will not sit or rest until you go get him and bring him here. And sure enough, here comes David the young. Some believe he was in his early teens, perhaps 13, 14 years old. Comes in all smelly, hair disheveled. We're told he was handsome and ruddy. Comes in, and here's Samuel, and he anoints him king of Israel, and he inquires of the Lord, and they're all just baffled and dumbfounded. And the Lord's response was, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And this was David, who had a heart after God's own heart. I I just, I, I always imagine in my mind's eye, I always like to put myself in the scene, in the text, if I was there, and just kind of witnessing the look on his brother's faces when Samuel anointed their youngest brother David to be king. I'm convinced that there was bitterness and resentment on the part of Eliab, the oldest, the firstborn. And (laughs) 
when David uh, is sent by his dad to check on his brothers in the battlefield, there when Goliath was challenging and blaspheming God. And here David shows up, and the first thing out of Eliab's mouth is, what are you doing here? Go, go home. What, what are you doing here, you little runt? You're not supposed to be, this is for men. <laughs> I find it kind of ironic that here's Eliab, and I mean, he has for 40 days and 40 nights been listening to this uncircumcised Philistine blaspheme the name of their God. And he's, this is, this is a man's job. Well, you're, you're not manning up. What, what have you done? Let me at him. And here's David, send a man to do a man's job, or what's that saying? You got to send a kid to do a man's job, because only one time he hears this uncircumcised Philistine. He, by the way, and we, we've talked about this in our study through the Bible, but never once does David ever refer to Goliath by his name. And there's a reason for that. The the name Goliath meant champion. He never refers to him. He always calls him what he really was, an uncircumcised Philistine. And God used this young man who had a heart after his own heart. Verse 12. Here it is again. I mean, I don't know how many more times we're going to read this, but a scoffer does not love one who corrects him. I'm going to unfriend you. Uh, how do I say it? Well, we're going to see it in the Proverbs, but maybe it's, it's good to at least just touch on it briefly here. You know, initially we might despise it and resent it when somebody tells us the truth. And the wounds of a friend are faithful, right? But when somebody speaks truth into our lives, it's because they love us and they care about us, and they want to help us for our own good. And then we don't, we don't receive it, and we get upset with them. But the enemy multiplies kisses. In other words, uh, somebody who doesn't love you will only tell you what you want to hear, but not what you need to hear. If you really love me, even though it might hurt me and wound me, you're correcting me, you're rebuking me, it's because you love me. Yes, it might wound me, but I know it's because you love me. See, our refusal, our unwillingness to speak the truth, even though we know that they may not like it, and they certainly may not like us for saying it. It's this self-love that says, I don't want to tell you that because I want you to like me. I won't tell you that because if I tell you that, you won't like me. You'll unfriend me. <laughs> the scoffer does not love one who corrects him, nor will he go to the wise. I'm learning, again, I'm not going to say I've learned, I'm learning, <laughs> present tense, in my life that if somebody really cares about me, I need to receive what they say to me, even though it might really rub me the wrong way. I remember someone, it was an old evangelist, I think it was uh, Billy Sunday actually, at the turn of the last century, 
fiery, you know, evangelist and, and preacher. And after one of his uh, crusades, this woman comes up to him and says to him, Preacher, you rub me the wrong way. To which he responds, classic. He says, no, I'm not rubbing you the wrong way. You need to turn the right way. You know, like when you pet a cat the wrong way, turn the cat around. I'm not rubbing you the wrong way. You need to turn in the right way. That's what I feel like with this receiving of correction. I'm the one who needs to turn around the right way and receive it the right way. They really care about me. I know my wife loves me because <laughs> of what she says to me. I mean, she pulls no punches. I mean, she's very honest with me, and that means that she really loves me. We speak the truth in love. Have you ever thought of it this way? We speak the truth because we love. Certainly we speak it in a loving way with a loving heart. But isn't it true that if we really care about somebody, we're going to speak the truth to them? It's because we love them. Verse 13, this has a physiological component to it, and I'll explain what I mean by that. A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken. What I mean by a physiological component is the, the attitude of our hearts can affect our health. The attitude of our hearts can affect our health. That's why we're going to read again in our study through the Proverbs that uh, laughter is like medicine to the bones. It's healing to the bones, healing to the body. Verse 14, the heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on foolishness. That's their appetite. They've developed an appetite for folly. And conversely, the wise will seek out knowledge. Verse 15, interesting one. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he who is of a merry heart has a continual feast. You know, the circumstances in life should not dictate to us our response to the circumstances in life. With the wicked, it's affliction all the days of their life. But for those of us who have a similar lot in life, one riddled with affliction, it is possible to have a merry heart, a joyful heart, and a continual feast. It's all about the attitude of the heart. Verse 16 kind of is along those lines. It says, better is a little with the fear of the Lord, then great treasure with trouble. I like this one. I think of it this way too, as a pastor and as a church body, I would rather have a little church, a small church, that is a maybe an inch wide and a mile deep than a church that is a mile wide and only an inch deep because big church equal big problems. Let me say the same thing in a different way. I would rather have little 
and have peace and enjoy it than have a lot and only have trouble associated with it. Verse 17, this, uh, this is, has a cultural component to it, and I'll explain that. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf with hatred. Now let me explain this one. In the Middle Eastern culture to this day, they, they really understand the dynamics of breaking bread together. In fact, if there's a feud, they will have a feast to bring about reconciliation. Many years ago when I was very young, my mom and her sister, my mom's two sisters, uh, had a feud that lasted for seven years. That wasn't, you know, intentional. That's just how long it lasted. And I mean, I tell you, when Arabs want a feud, they really feud, okay? So this was a all-out feud. They wouldn't talk to each other having, you know, getting together during holidays and celebrations. We'd all have, always have to ask, well, are they going to be there? Well, they're going to be there. We can't be there. So we always had to work around it, and it was awful. And then finally, after seven years, there was a peace agreement. <laughs> and they brought them together, and my mom and her sisters spent like three months working on the feast that they were going to have, and they came together and we had this big feast, and they came together and they reconciled. You know in the uh, Proverbs, we've, we've seen it, we'll see it again, that it's better to eat a crust of bread on the roof of your house than uh, eating prime rib in your house where you have a, I'm sorry uh, wives, but where you have a contentious, nagging wife. It's better to eat the crust on the roof than it is the prime rib at the table like that. You know, when you eat together, there's a bond that takes place. This is uh, in the communion table, we see this as well. The idea is, is that bread that's in you is the same bread that's in me. They drink from the same cup, they eat from the same bread, and it's a common union. In the Arab culture, if you eat with an Arab and break bread, with an Arab at their table, they are loyal for life, even unto death. In the nomadic Bedouin culture, the idea is, is that you come upon my tent, and I feed you, and I give you a glass of water to drink, and food to eat. I've saved your life. And now I am responsible for your life, because I brought you into my home. You know, in Sodom and Gomorrah, Actually, you see uh, that there, where Lot is responsible for those angels that he was entertaining unaware that came to take him out of Sodom and Gomorrah before the fire and the brimstone came and destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. That's why he took them in, because now they were his responsibility. Their lives were in his hands. That's how they viewed it in that culture, and much is the same today. This is why it is, by the way, when you go to lunch with somebody and you have a pleasant conversation, you know, there's, there's a dynamic that takes place. You don't want to eat with somebody that you're having a conflict with. It, it destroys the whole meaning of it. And so <laughs> it is much better to eat just minimal herbs where there's love than it is to eat a fatted calf 
where there's hatred. Verse 18, a wrathful man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger allays contention. I mean, this is self-explanatory, you know, the peacemaker, the one that is slow to anger, long-suffering. They're looking to allay the contention, to stop the strife, whereas the wrathful man is the one that stirs it up. It's like stoking the fires, the embers of that fire to get it burning. Verse 19, the way of the lazy man is like a hedge of thorns, but the way of the upright is a highway. The man is so lazy that his way is just all thorns and thistles and overgrown, but the way of the upright is clear. It's a highway. Verse 20, a wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. Verse 21, folly is joy to him who is destitute of discernment. In other words, the the one who has no discernment, destitute of discernment, actually finds great joy in his foolishness. I mean, they have no discernment and they delight in their folly. They take great joy in their folly. But, here's the contrast, a man of understanding walks uprightly. Verse 22, without counsel, plans go awry, but in the multitude of counselors they are established. This is a powerful truth that when you're facing a very important and even major decision, it is incumbent upon you to seek counsel, to get a different perspective. Godly counsel, not ungodly counsel, but you want to seek the counsel of others, because they're looking at it from a completely different vantage point. And they're not emotionally involved in the decision, and they can see clearly in ways that you cannot. You're fully vested in this, and it's a major decision. And it's good to have those plans, by the way. Nothing wrong with having plans. Don't let those plans have you. And when you have those plans, hold on to them loosely. Let the Lord determine the outcome. But it's the wise who seeks godly counsel and the multitude of counselors. Verse 23, a man has joy by the answer of his mouth and a word spoken in due season. I love this. How good it is. You know how it is when you're talking with somebody and they just, they just have a word fitly spoken. And, and the Lord is speaking through them to you and it's, oh, thank you for that. That was a good word in due season. That was, that's exactly what I needed to hear. Oh, how good it is. Verse 24, the way of life winds upward for the wise, that he may turn away from hell below. Wow. Okay. I want to turn away from hell 
below. By the way, I don't know if you knew this or not. You know why it is that we say hi and hello? It's because they used to say, this is the origin of it, heaven is high, hell is low. So (laughs) next time somebody says hi to you, say, yes, heaven is high. Praise the Lord. Going there soon, I hope. (laughs) Next time somebody says to you, hello, say, yes, hell is low. Hello. Go look it up. Search it. That's where it came from. You ever wonder why? I mean, isn't that, we just, we, we say hi and hello without any idea of what it actually originated from. But that's what it originated from. I, I love that. I'm going to start saying it more now. <laughs> you know, you say to somebody, hello. Hey, by the way, you know where hello comes from? Makes you think. Verse 25. The Lord will destroy the house of the proud, but He will establish the boundary of the widow. I think again of what James says. By the way, James, the book of James in the New Testament has been likened to the New Testament book of Proverbs because of the wisdom that is in it. And in the book of James, I love James and how the Holy Spirit inspired him to write that. It's very blunt. It's very in your face. I mean, he just tells it like it is, you know. But he talks about pure undefiled religion is ministering to the widow and the fatherless. That's pure undefiled religion God takes very seriously those people. And even when Jesus was here in His public ministry on earth, you see Him gravitating towards the hopeless and the helpless. Verse 26, the thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the words of the pure are pleasant. Did you see that? Did you catch that? You know that God can read your mind, right? I love it in the Gospels where we're told the narrative says that Jesus responded to what they were thinking to themselves. I would have again loved to have been there to see the look on their face. They weren't saying anything, they were thinking it. How dare he eat with sinners? And then Jesus is like, I heard that. You did? Yeah. Well, the thoughts of the wicked are an abomination. He knows and reads every thought of everyone, but not the thoughts of the righteous, but the words of the righteous, the words of the pure are pleasant. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth. Our time with you is coming to an end today, but that doesn't mean you have to stop learning from God's Word. We encourage you to read the Bible yourself. You can start in Proverbs, where Pastor J.D. left off, or turn to another book. Each one holds information, encouragement, and instruction that will be beneficial to you. Are you part of a community of believers? If you haven't yet found a church that you can call home, we'd like to encourage you to make that a top priority. A church family can be a source of support and comfort, and most importantly, a group of faithful prayer warriors. This is also a place you can serve and encourage others too, and where you can be challenged to dive deeper into your relationship with Christ. 
If you're in the Kaneohe area, you have a standing invitation to be part of our family of believers. Come join Calvary Chapel Kaneohe on Sundays and Thursdays for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can find out more and get directions at our website, inspiritandtruthradio.com. While you're there, be sure to check out Pastor J.D.'s additional teachings as well as his Mideast Prophecy Updates. We also have some helpful resources, too. You'll find Pastor J.D.'s ABCs of Salvation there, a great way to share the simplicity of the gospel message with friends and family. That's all available at our website. Again, that's in spiritandtruthradio.com. Thanks for tuning in today. Join us next time for more from Proverbs, right here on In Spirit and Truth. Call me, me true, true.